0: If you had the chance to visit with any one character in the Christmas story... Who would you choose? Now, now, just for the sake of this argument, you don't get to choose Jesus, okay? He was a baby, and he would have been able to tell you what was on the minds of everyone. But I would love a chance to sit down with almost any of them. Wouldn't you love to have known what the shepherds really experienced? Wouldn't you like to know who the shepherds were? I I know most of the time you see the videos, they're old guys. More than likely, they were teenagers and quite possibly both genders. Wouldn't you like to have understood what they saw? What does it look like to see an angel? If there's anybody mysterious, maybe you'd be interested in sitting down with a magi, finding out exactly who were they. Were they really kings? Were they astrologers, astronomers? Were they wise men? What exactly were they? And what exactly was this star that they saw? Was it just some natural phenomenon in the, the sky that they recognized? Or was it maybe an angel? Uh, Maybe you'd like to sit down with the angels and ask them, when did you find out the Christmas story? Did you understand that this was, in fact, God becoming man? Did you understand that he would live a perfect, sinless life and die a sacrificial death and rise from the dead? When did you find all of this out? Why did God choose you? Maybe Mary would be the person you'd like to talk to. What was it like to carry the incarnate God in your womb. How did the birth go? Was it like the rest of your births? Or was it easier? Or harder? Do you know that if you go through Matthew and Luke's account, everybody in the Christmas story but one person gets a voice. The shepherds tell everybody what they saw. The wise men were recorded their conversation with King Herod. Mary has this great song. We call it Mary's Magnificent. Even lesser characters, Zachariah and Elizabeth, get to talk. Simeon and Anna. Do you know the only person in the Christmas story that doesn't say a single word is Joseph. Joseph truly is the silent voice of... Of Christmas. And for the few moments we have this morning, I want to focus in on that last half of, of Matthew chapter 1. It begins with this book of genealogy. Literally, if you were here a couple weeks ago, the genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham, he begins this long genealogy. And then in verse 16, he, he wraps it up by saying Jacob was the father of Joseph. The reality is we know almost nothing about Joseph. How old was he? We don't really know. Tradition tells us that he was older than Mary and some would say even as old as maybe 30. And while that seems a little uncomfortable to us, a 30-year-old marrying a teenager was not uncommon in the first century. The fact that he's the one that talks about divorcing Mary gives credence to the idea that maybe he was out of the house. Maybe he wasn't under his father's authority. The fact he doesn't show up anywhere else in the Gospels gives the hint That by the time Jesus begins at age 30, his father was probably already dead. What did Joseph do for a living? Uh, The beginning of chapter 1 is going to share with us two indisputable facts. The first is, Joseph was the rightful heir to the the crown of David. I was watching a video this week, and it was uh, one for Israel. It's an interesting site. It's in Israel reaching the Jews with the good news of Jesus. But the individual was asking the question, was Jesus really in the line of David? And the answer is simply, all you had to do in the first century was go to the temple. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, which is their commentary of the Old Testament, includes that Jesus was in the line of David. It was indisputable. And thus, Joseph was the rightful king but what was he doing we're told he's a carpenter and and I fear that so much of the first story of Christmas is influenced by our background that sometimes we mess it up and for us a carpenter is somebody who works with wood in fact if you've watched any videos my very strong suspicion is Joseph is making a table or chairs or something with wood that's highly unlikely In the first century, wood was incredibly scarce. The word carpenter has the idea of builder. If you go about three miles, four miles away from the city of Nazareth, which was an incredibly tiny town, there was a town in the first century that was built by Herod, a Roman villa, a place that you can go today and you can see these Roman streets and these amazing mosaics. And there is an excellent chance that Joseph worked on these sites think about that just for a second you're the rightful king of israel and you know it and you are a common laborer who's working on a mosaic for some rich roman be honest you ever felt like you deserve something better why does that person get the promotion and not me why do they get the praise and not me Joseph deserved to be king, but he didn't even live in Jerusalem. He lived in a town of probably two to three hundred people off the beaten track, where as Jesus begins, people will say, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Joseph was in the line of Messiah. The second thing we know for certain is that Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. In fact, we're not going to take time. If you were here two weeks ago, I spent the, the entire morning, look at the first 17 verses, reading the genealogies. I'm not going to do that. But there are 14 generations, uh, three different categories of 14. There's 42 generations in total. And each time you read the word, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and Jacob the father of Joseph. And you would fully expect, you would be prepared for, you would be waiting for, Joseph, the father of Jesus. It's not what Matthew writes. Joseph was the husband of Mary. And then he uses the word whom. Now, in English, it's difficult to understand the gender based upon a single word. You have to do some research and try and figure out sentence structure, find out what it's talking about. In the Greek, words were gender specific, and this is a female gender pronoun. Jesus didn't come from Joseph. Joseph was the earthly adopted father of Jesus. But Matthew wants you to understand, Jesus had no father. If you were with us back when we were going through the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, Paul takes this, this rabbit trail and he brings up these two Adams, the first Adam who fell into sin and passed upon to every one of his descendants the sin nature. You and I are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born sinners. And if Jesus had had a human father, he also would have been born with a sin nature. Because God worked a miracle. Jesus had no earthly father, and thus had no sin nature, and could be our Savior. Let me just read the story, picking up in verse number 18, where Matthew records these words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus we could spend a fair amount of time this morning on the virgin birth and, and and maybe that isn't a struggle for you but it is a huge struggle in our world because that requires the supernatural intervention of god do you really believe god does miracles in order to believe the christmas story as matthew shares it you must But this morning, for the few moments I have, you can really divide the story along four lines. There was first the the problem pregnancy, then there was the angelic announcement, followed by the prophetic fulfillment, and eventually following faith. It, It begins with this problem pregnancy. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary was betrothed. Once again, we get tripped up here. At Thanksgiving time, my daughter Abigail had the incredible privilege of being engaged to a young man by the name of Morgan Hickston. And we're really excited about it. And it is uh, an exciting part of 2021 for my family. But that's not really what betrothal was. I, I, I recognize that for all of us, we probably understand that first century Jews practiced arranged marriages. But I'm guessing most of us have never really been around one. One of the incredible gifts I was given straight out of seminary is I spent a year teaching at a Bible college in India. And while there, the accepted approach to marriage was still arranged marriages. And it was one of the most intriguing things. It'll tell you how old I am. They actually still had papers, you know, that came on pieces of paper that you could open and look at. And every single day there would be five or six pages dedicated to the want ads. And the number one thing that was listed in the want ads were marriage proposals. And it was fascinating to read the way they would describe their son or their daughter. The number one word for for a daughter was she was homely. Now, I don't know how many of you would like to be described that way, but that was a key way. And you would take and you would get together, sometimes through a one ad, sometimes through a matchmaker, sometimes through family friends. You'd sit down and you would negotiate, you would talk, and you would arrange a marriage and I remember visiting with another one of the American professors who was teaching, and he was offended, and he could not believe any Christian couple would practice such a thing. And all I said is, but that's the way Mary and Joseph got together. See, in their culture, there would be this betrothal period in which the bride's parents and the groom's parents would sit down. They would haggle out a price for the, the bride. And it would be paid. There would be a ceremony similar to our wedding's. And then as soon as that was done, the bride and groom-to-be would go and not talk again until the wedding day. And usually the betrothal period was about a year long, and it served two primary purposes. For the bride-to-be, it was a test of her purity. Would she remain pure to her soon-to-be husband? And obviously, it's pretty clear to see if she was faithful or not. But for the groom to be, it was proof of his industry. See, in a world, most people, not everyone, some of the richer people would go home and build their own house. But most of the time, you would return home and you would add a room onto your father's house. And then as soon as you had built the house unannounced, you would grab your your best friends, you would sweep down, you would take your bride, you would consummate the marriage, and then there would be a week-long celebration. And that was the wedding ceremony. I know it's a bit of a rabbit trail, but I, I, I can't talk about it without going to John 14. When Jesus is talking to his disciples and he begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Right now, Jesus is demonstrating his ability to add on rooms to his father's house. And he's judging your purity. That's a little scary. That I am wed to be to Christ. Am I remaining faithful? But Joseph and Mary came together and they were betrothed. But before they came to be get together, she was found to be with child. Luke gives us a little bit of background. It shares the story in the first part of Luke 1 that the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah in the temple and says, even though you're beyond childbearing years, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah doubts it and he's struck, unable to speak and most likely unable to hear as well. And so eventually they go and sure enough, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, most likely meaning the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends an an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. And the angel comes and tells Mary she's going to have a child. And then as soon as the angel leaves, Mary gets up and runs off. And I suspect the word in Nazareth was, man, that, that Mary is such a nice girl. She knows her old, ancient aunt is having a baby. Wow, what a nice girl to drop everything. She's betrothed. She should be waiting for Joseph. But she drops everything to care for her aunt. And we don't know for sure how long. But imagine three months at least. Four months. Five months. And Mary comes back. And she is suddenly found to be with child. Once again, I I, I fear that we bring our modern engagements into the discussion. Paul's getting married in a couple weeks. I'm given the privilege of doing the marriage counseling. And I don't know that a bride and groom talk more than they do during their engagement period. They talk constantly. And that's a good thing. It's not the way it worked in the first century. In fact, in the first century, if you were ever alone with a woman for 20 minutes, it was assumed you had sex. Because why else would a guy and a girl be together for any other reason? Betrothed couples weren't allowed to be together, and I think likely didn't even get to discuss Mary's pregnancy. Several years ago, a movie came out entitled The Nativity Story, and I think they do a nice job of capturing how it may have gone down. Mary returns and shocks Joseph. I'm not sure words can describe the horror Joseph had to have felt as he realized his bride-to-be was unfaithful. But we're informed that Joseph was a just man. Now, I I wouldn't take that to mean he was a perfect man. That clearly isn't what Matthew intends. I think what he's trying to do is to draw a contrast between somebody who appeared on a human level to be unfaithful and somebody who had remained faithful to his marriage vows. He was a just man. So, what does he do? Deuteronomy chapter 22 is one of those verses that most of us, if we're honest, probably wish wasn't in the Bible. It makes us really uncomfortable. Moses writes but if the thing is true that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman then she shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house so you shall purge the evil from your midst Now, please do not hear me to suggest that I am in favor of stoning infidelity. I am thrilled that we live in a new time. But may I share that I fear we've become too comfortable with infidelity and it doesn't really bother us. We live in a time when marriage is becoming less and less common because why should I get married? I can just live together. I I would make the argument, and we don't have time to go down this rabbit trail, but if you go to Genesis 1 and 2, that marriage is the only human illustration we have of the Trinity, where three become one, and then God says to Adam that you shall take your wife and the two shall become one. Marriage is a picture of what the triune God looks like. Obviously, he does it perfectly. We all do it with a great deal of struggle. But God considers infidelity incredibly important. Do we? Joseph struggles with, what do I do? Even by the first century, stoning had become incredibly uncommon, but was still a possibility. More likely, what would happen is that there would be a public shaming. See, Joseph, or at least Joseph's family, had money invested in Mary. The only way they could get that money back was to demonstrate she had violated the betrothal laws. Not to mention, if Joseph doesn't do something, everybody's going to assume who the father is. And it says that he struggled with it. He didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to shame her publicly. But he had to do something. See, I'm afraid we get so caught up in the 90-minute movies that we conclude Joseph wrestled with this for 25 minutes and then came to a conclusion. I think it was likely he wrestled with it for days, weeks. What do I do? How do I defend my name without destroying Mary? I don't want people to think I'm unfaithful and yet I don't want to destroy the woman I was in love with. So finally he decides I'll put her away privately. I won't demand my money back. I I won't uh, shame her in front of the community. I'll just let her slip away, and she will remain, in essence, a widow the rest of her life because she will no longer be marryable, and that's her fate, and then suddenly an angel shows up. The NIV misses the word behold. I, I'm using the ESV this morning because I don't want to miss the word behold because the whole idea of the word is something completely unexpected, something out of the norm, something Joseph wasn't prepared for shows up in a dream. God had been silent for 400 years and then he speaks to Zechariah. He then speaks to Mary. He he speaks a couple times, but the last recorded event of God using a dream is Daniel, seven hundred years earlier. How in the world did he know it was not just a dream? Now I, I, I'm not one who dreams a great deal. My kids love to come down and at breakfast time share what their dreams were. I must admit I'm not the best listener because you know dreams are really kind of a personal thing and and. and The only dreams I remember are when I wake up in the cold sweat. You know, those catastrophic, nightmarish kind of dreams. Those are the ones I remember. How in the world does he know that it's an angel? I don't have an answer for you. But he did. And the angel comes to him and says the most shocking thing that would have shocked him to his very core. Two people in all of the New Testament are called sons of David. Jesus and Joseph. I am confident that Joseph did not view himself very often as the heir to the throne of David, but the angel does. And he says, son of David, do not fear. Now, this is an interesting statement because almost all the time that an angel shows up, his first words are, don't be afraid. You see that to Zachariah. You see that to Elizabeth, or rather to Mary. You see that to the shepherds. And maybe this is just standard. But the angel doesn't say, do not be afraid, comma. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary. Why would he be afraid to take Mary? One of the things that I I, I never really understood about the Christmas story until I had a chance to go live in a Middle Eastern culture was the importance of family. When I was in India, the, the president's nephew showed up one morning unannounced, took a job in the city we were living in, lived with his uncle for the next nine months, and then picked up and left unannounced. And that was normal. Your family comes, uh, of course you let them in. That's what you do. There is nothing more important to you than family. Why was Joseph looking for an inn in Luke chapter 2? All of Joseph's family, every single member would have been in the city of Bethlehem. His uncles, his grandparents, his great-grandparents perhaps, certainly his parents were all in the city of Bethlehem. Why in the world is Joseph looking for an inn? Because no one would have anything to do with him. Think about that just for a second. Your nephew, your son, your brother is expecting a child And you won't even touch him. See, I think the fear that Joseph had to struggle with is if I marry her, it is a tacit admission that I am the father and that we committed a sin together. And we will be shunned the rest of our lives for this act. In fact, in John's account, Jesus on one particular occasion will be attacked by the Pharisees. We know who our father is. He has no idea who his is. See, I think the fear that Joseph was struggling with is if I do this, it will change the direction of my life. But he should marry her. Mary, Mary, and then he says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I I was struck by this thought this week. In a second, we're going to get to the second miracle, which is Jesus shall save us from our sins. And, And I think sometimes when it's an invisible requirement, it's easier to say, I believe. But when it's a tangible reality staring you in the face, It's a whole lot harder. C.S. Lewis was sharing this story. One time he was in his office. C.S. Lewis was a a scholar of ancient literature in Cambridge. And he was in his office talking when one of his professors and he heard a a group of people singing. And they were singing Silent Night. And they stopped and they listened. And when they finished, the professor looked at C.S. Lewis and said, Aren't you glad we don't have to believe that nonsense anymore? And C.S. Lewis said, what nonsense is that? Oh, you know that story about the virgin birth. I'm so glad we've advanced scientifically to get to the point that we know virgin births aren't possible. And C.S. Lewis incredulously looked at him and said, don't you think they knew that? See, I, I fear that sometimes we think we have advanced so far and people back in yonder years didn't get it. I assure you, from day one, everybody understood it took a man and a woman to make a baby. It isn't some new revelation that has been defined in the last hundred years. Everybody has always known that. And yet, he was being asked to believe something that had never, ever happened before. Several years ago, Renee and I had a chance to to go to a a crisis pregnancy fundraiser and, and the person speaking made a statement that I don't think I'll soon forget. They made the comment that, Abstinence has worked 99.9999% of the time. The one time it didn't, we got a Savior. I don't think I can explain how hard it was for Joseph to get it. An angel told you this, that you would bear the Son of God. Elizabeth had a baby, even in her old age. Elizabeth has a husband. Women have been put to death for this. They could stone you in the street. Do you understand? You should have stayed with Elizabeth. Father. Father. I have broken no vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. I love that line. I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. The angel said to Mary, or said to Joseph, that what is conceived in Mary is not from another man, but from God Himself. And this child of hers will grow up to become not just a savior. See, I, I fear sometimes we stop at he will save his people. But God wanted us to understand that our greatest need wasn't financial, political, militarily, socially, It is a sin problem. And the reason Jesus came is because we needed a Savior from our sins. And after all, why should this surprise you? Don't you remember what Isaiah wrote? Isaiah many years earlier had had written, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel translated is God with us. See, it's not just... From the Holy Spirit. It is God himself come in human flesh to be our Savior. And so it was decision time. What would Joseph do? I I, I love verse 24 because I am convinced that Satan's number one tool in his arsenal for most of us is procrastination. Yeah, it, it, it would be a really good thing to go marry Mary. I'll get to that. But Hey, this is Christmas week. I've got lots of stuff going on. This is, this is a holiday week. I'll get to it next week. Or Wait, wait, wait. No, that's New Year's. Can't do it next week. Let, let's put it down in January. Oh, that's right. Paul's leaving on the second. Can't do it in January. Let's do it. And suddenly it's July and we haven't gotten around to it. As soon as Joseph wakes from sleep, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. If I can just leave you with a couple thoughts. The first is God uses not just the well known and the popular, but the invisible and the unimportant. Joseph was a nobody by human standards, and yet he was who God chose. We live in a star-driven culture where you can become famous for no other reason than you're famous. And if you have enough Twitter followers and Instagram and Snapchat and all the other social medias, if you figure out a way to to write a book or release a song, people will follow you. And we think the only people God can use are the famous. Go through scripture. The majority of the people God uses are nobodies. They're people like Joseph who was a common laborer in a forgotten part of the world that nobody in Rome could have even found on a map. And yet God chose him to have the most important parental responsibility in human history. I'm entrusting you with my son, Joseph. Secondly, God demands simple obedience. It, it, it is important for us to believe, and we're going to get there in a second, but faith without action, James tells us, is meaningless. I suspect that God is moving each of us to do something this week. See, it always amazes me that the important things in life are rarely hard. They're just uncomfortable. I'm guessing most of us will talk to a, a, a coworker or neighbor this week who doesn't know Christ will do that. But do I dare speak up and share the gospel of Jesus with them? What will they think of me? Does that really matter? See, the important things in life are, are often not difficult to do. What's difficult is the consequences they will bring. People will look at me differently. He's one of those Bible thumpers. He, 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 I don't want to have anything to do with him. Joseph humanly speaking, ruined his life. Because for the rest of his life, he was that man who got his fiance pregnant. But it does require my complete trust. See, the whole story of a virgin conceiving, I don't think is all that different than sins forgiven. I have to believe that God became man, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and took the punishment that I deserve. And then because He is a gracious God, offers salvation to me. And all I have to do is receive it. The faith that is required to believe the virgin conceived is no different than the faith to believe that Jesus came to save you. From your sins. I hope this Christmas you get all of the presents you want. I hope you get to spend time with family and friends. I hope you have a wonderful time. But I hope you don't miss why Jesus came. And she will bear a son and will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Father, we thank you for the story of Christmas. We thank you for your willingness to come. We thank you for the invitation you give to all of us. It is my prayer that each of us here this morning understands what it means to place our faith in you for our salvation from sin. And I pray also that we would be willing to go and tell the world of the Savior born of a virgin died, and rose victorious over sin to offer us salvation. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.